You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 72. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for listening. As always, this episode is sponsored by Minted.com. Minted is a great resource for those who are looking to buy stationery and wall art. At the end of the show, I'll be talking with a talented abstract artist named Katie Craig about her work and the role that Minted has had in her business. In addition, I'll be sharing how two listeners will win $250 worth of wall art from Minted's Marketplace. Now let's move on to our show. This episode is with Crystal Palachek. She is the founder of Rue Magazine, which you can check out at ruemag.com. Rue Magazine is an amazing interior design and lifestyle magazine online. She founded this five years ago, and believe it or not, we've actually been friends since before that time. I have gotten to watch her on this journey with Rue Magazine, and we'll be talking about that journey a little bit. We'll be sharing what got her started how she juggled her full-time job while launching the business, and what she's learned from hiring her team today. But the real meat of this episode is about her recent pregnancy. Crystal, on April 14th, gave birth to her first child, Benjamin Andrew Palachek. But I asked her on the show before she gave birth because I wanted to interview her about her pregnancy and the intersection of perfectionism. Crystal will share what she expected pregnancy to be like and what it actually has been like for her. And we'll talk about what she's felt along the way. She has been very vulnerable online throughout this journey. And I really wanted to tap into what this has meant to her and what she has learned. So get ready for a great conversation about pregnancy, but also more importantly about perfectionism and the role that it can play in a transition like pregnancy. And at the end of the show, we will be doing our first ever values-based intention setting exercise with Crystal. After 72 episodes of the show, I have not ever done an intention setting exercise with one of the guests, even though that's what I do with my work. My work is all about values-based intentions, and I help people do that through my online course, Life with Intention Online, but I have not yet done it with a guest. We actually have created a printable based on Crystal's values, just in case you too may have the same values-based intention and want to print it out for yourself. Let's go to the show. Crystal, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. We have known each other for how many years now? About six or seven? Yeah, when I lived in Chicago, we met. So I guess that was, yeah, six or seven years ago. Yes, a lot has happened since then. (laughs) You have. Yes, for both of us. (laughs) Both of us. So let's talk a little bit about your background. I was in Chicago when we met, obviously in 2009. And I was working at a book publisher there. I had just actually moved to Chicago from a two year stint in Rome, Italy following graduation from Tufts University. So I got to Chicago started at a book publisher, just kind of trying to get my first job off the ground back in the States. And it was a lovely experience, but definitely not a passion. Great people, all of that, but I just wasn't feeling fulfilled had a lot of questions about what the heck do I want to do with my life? How do I build a career for myself? All of those things that you kind of go through in your early 20s. So I started to read blogs at night when I would get home from work and just got really, really into them. 
And one day I just had the idea of like, oh, this is such a great idea. Why don't I start a blog? So I built one on blogger.com and started blogging. And I kept on noticing that I would blog about interior design. So that sort of became this new, wonderful world opening up to me. And before I knew it, I had sort of built up an audience and connections. And I think that's kind of how you and I met through the blogs and whatnot. So I did that for a couple of years. And then on my 27th birthday, I had this feeling of like, why don't I take it to the next level? Why don't I put together an online interior design magazine, sort of leverage the people that I had met through the blogging world and the networking I had done and just do something bigger scale. So that was sort of how the idea of Rue Magazine came about. And I pulled together a team and we worked tirelessly. Back in the time when you actually launched Rue, the online magazine thing had only been done really once before. So you were like the second mover in that whole space. And now that space has exploded. What's the change been like since you got it started? Yeah. So when we started, we started in September 2010. So almost five years ago now. And it was, like you said, not a lot around. I think it was just Lonnie Magazine at the time that was around in the interior design space. And it really sort of resonated with the design community because it was sort of following that time where a lot of print publications were folding, but people still had this desire for content, obviously, and more accessible content. And the online world was just exploding. So they liked the immediacy of being able to just go to a website and find all of this content in one spot rather than waiting for your, you know, monthly print edition to land in your mailbox. So that was a really, really exciting time. And I guess what I've seen change over the last five years that I've been in this, there's a lot more sites now, which is fantastic, because I think the more out there, the more credibility it gives to the space. And now people are sort of stepping away from that digital magazine format. So sort of the feeling that you're flipping through pages and are doing more of a website. So it's kind of a hybrid of like a blog and a website now. So it's really fun to see it change and how so many wonderful sites are popping up now and doing great. And I'm just so thrilled that we've been around for five years and we've got an incredible following and loyal fan base that have stuck with us as we've grown in the last five years. So it's been such a fulfilling experience for me. Once you launched Rue with your position at the book publisher, what did it take in your life to actually launch this magazine and get to the place where you could devote your time full time? Like, how did you literally structure your days in order to make that happen? Anyone who has their own business knows that it's not always easy for sure. So what we did, let me see, thinking back, we worked on putting together the premiere issue. So our very, very first issue for about four months. And so for those four months, I remember waking up at about 5am every morning to work on Rue and I would work on Rue from like 5 to 8am, shower quickly, get to work by nine, go to work until about five or six, and then come home and work on Rue at night. So that was my schedule. And it might seem like a lot of work to do. But when you're passionate about something, you look forward to getting up. I remember just being so excited every morning to wake up at five, grab a cup of coffee and dive into this passion project that we were working on. So we did that for about four months. And we launched the magazine and a combination of hard work and just launching at the right time and using social media as a tool to get the word out. We were more successful than I ever dreamed possible from the get go. So we had a wonderful response. And literally, the week after we launched the first issue of Rue magazine, I went into my bosses at the book publisher and resigned. 
because I just thought, you know what, I have to do this. I was 27 at the time. So I was thinking if I'm still young enough that if it doesn't work out, I still have time to, you know, get settled into a different career, or build something up. And I don't have too much to lose at this point. So I just have to go for it. And I don't really know how to put it into words. It was just, I just knew that was my only option. Like I couldn't imagine life any other way, if that makes sense. <laughs> Were you scared? I don't remember. I mean, this is going to maybe not sound like the right answer, but I don't remember being overly scared. And maybe I have a bit of a fearless personality when it comes to big life decisions like moving to Italy at the age of 22, that kind of stuff that's never really scared me too much. I've just always sort of had this belief in myself and this anchor about me that I just kind of know that even if it doesn't work out, I would have the tools to get myself out of a situation or rebuild something. So I think just really trusting my capabilities and trusting my gut, that was a big one for me. I remember saying this quote to myself kind of during that transition period, it was leap and a net will appear. And that's really how I felt. If I just leap for this, and that's going to appear and I'm going to be able to do this. So of course, you know, you have those thoughts like, okay, how am I going to make sure that the magazine makes enough money so that I can pay my rent and pay the team and all of that. But it just kind of has unfolded step by step. And I still, you know, five years later, still have those worries. I think as a business owner, you never stop carrying that weight on your shoulders. But at the same time, it's also something you would never give up for the world. What I love about what you said is that you felt strongly, not so much in like, this is bound to be hugely successful. That wasn't what was making you fearless. What made you fearless was the realization that if it was not successful, you trusted yourself to be able to handle what would come in that scenario. Exactly. And I'm, I think some of the conversations you and I just had around that time definitely helped me because, <laughs> you know, you have your own business as well. So it was really insightful to talk to you about the way you sort of frame things in your mind and whatnot. So yeah, I think you helped me along the way for sure. <laughs> well, I think that's really helpful for anyone else out there thinking about doing something that scares them, whether it's even just changing careers and still staying within a traditional position somewhere to realize that it's not about what that next opportunity will be, but trusting yourself to be able to handle whatever comes, whether it's good or bad. Exactly. With the popularity of the online website slash magazine thing, I'm sure there are people out there thinking about starting their own. What would you honestly tell them? I would say that you have to have the passion for it because it's going to be difficult at times. It's going to be long hours. It's going to be a lot of work. So if the passion isn't already there, then you'll probably burn out very quickly. So I would make sure that you're, it's a topic that you literally would be doing for free if you weren't getting paid for it. So the passion has to be there. I always try to put myself in our reader's shoes. When you're in a business, you can get so caught up in your perspective of it and you don't really see it objectively. So I try to envision myself as a reader and think, what do they want to see more of? What kind of a brand are they connecting with? What do they love about our brand? What do I see that's not resonating? How can I change that? And also just building a good team. I have such an excellent team right now. And seriously, credit goes out to them. Just we work so well together. They're all dedicated. They're all also passionate about interior design and publishing. And that's half the battle right there is getting the right team. What would you say for people that are trying to build a team? Oh, that's a great question. I would definitely say 
to bring people onto your team that are not only talented, but that have good character because that's what matters at the end of the day. You're going to be spending so much time with these people that are their values aligned with your values? Are they kind? Are they helpful? Are they a team player? It's really easy to get sucked into wanting talent on your team and people who are really, really good at the craft. But I've realized over the course of the years that the personality is, if not more important than that. That's fascinating because you would think go for the talent. You're saying make sure the character's there first, the talent comes second. Yes, yes. I mean, obviously, you want them to have talent as well. But I've realized that the human connection between the people on the team is going to make you successful or not. Because if the team is not in line with each other, and if there's not good communication between the staff, and if there's not mutual respect there, then it's going to affect your end product, which is, you know, in my case, Drew Magazine. So that for me is definitely key. And how did you sense whether they had that character at the get-go? Because that might be something hard to sense right away. Yeah, it is. I think when you're interviewing someone for a position, making sure that you're slipping in a lot of sort of value-based questions in there as well, and spending as much time with them beforehand, before actually hiring them. So if that means doing multiple interviews or getting them sort of out of the interview space and doing a casual lunch with them as well. So you just kind of get more of a sense of their personality. I think doing the vetting beforehand can save you a lot of heartache later on. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing that. So it sounds like the online world and the striking out on your own is doable. Make sure you're passionate about it and make sure that you trust yourself to handle what comes even if the outcome isn't success in the way that you expected it to be. Yeah, exactly. Now let's switch lenses a little bit and talk about the newest chapter in your life, your pregnancy. Yes, I know. I'm so excited. (laughs) So when's your due date? I know you're very close. Yeah, my due date is three and a half weeks away. So I'm due April 5th. And I'm so excited. It's sort of a mix of emotions right now, just leading up to the final weeks of a little bit of anxiety and a lot of excitement. And it's been such a journey for me. So I'm really thrilled that we get to kind of dive in and talk a little bit more about it. I know, because I've been following what you've been sharing, especially on Facebook, and you have been so open. When I think of Crystal online, (laughs) I think of basically Princess Kate. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Your pictures and your updates are always so beautiful in this, you know, very rude way. And it's definitely you have your point of view. But this pregnancy has, I think, been an opportunity for you to really come out and share things that aren't always so beautiful and really talk about the journey that is hard sometimes or surprising. So I would love to ask you before we get started, what did you think before you were pregnant? What did you expect it to be like? I thought pregnancy was going to be easy. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that I could maintain sort of all aspects of my life before pregnancy in pregnancy. So whether that's my physical appearance, my energy levels, everything. I just thought, oh, I'm going to master pregnancy. This is going to be a cinch. It's going to be easy for me because honestly, that's kind of how it looks if you are on Instagram or something. Pregnant women are posting these gorgeous glam shots of themselves and beautiful outfits, not gaining a ton of weight. And so I thought, oh, this is so glamorous. This is going to be so fun. And it's actually been 
pretty opposite for me. <laughs> I'd love to share something that you shared and I'm cutting it down because it was beautiful, but it's it's a little bit long to read. But let me quickly just go through some of the high points of this message you shared because you put it together so beautifully. You said, pregnancy is hard. The hardest part has been losing control. Control over my body, my weight, my hormones, my energy, my timelines, my preconceived notions of how I'd handle and look during pregnancy. Everyone tells you that you're beautiful, but in the privacy of your own home, you cry on your husband's shoulder because you're utterly worn out by the inner voices nitpicking your changing body. But then there's the indescribable elation too. From the moment you see that positive pregnancy test, your heart grows tenfold and you become a mother. You fall more in love with your husband as you watch him grow steadily into his impending role as a father. And not a day goes by where you aren't utterly humbled with gratitude for the gift of life happening inside your body, for which you would gladly go through anything a thousand times over. This whole journey is wonderfully stressful and torturously beautiful, and I plan to continue experiencing it all wholeheartedly. First of all, bravo on that. It was beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. We've talked about what you expected pregnancy to be like. Let's talk about what has it actually been like. Before getting pregnant, I always promised myself I'm not going to complain about pregnancy. Whatever I go through, however it feels, I'm not going to complain about it. And the reason I had that thought was because I think of, you know, all of the women out there who are struggling with infertility, who would do anything to have a pregnancy, even a difficult one. So when I started to kind of publicly talk about how difficult pregnancy was for me, I also felt guilty doing that because I didn't want to seem insensitive to people struggling with infertility. And I have tried to always keep that in mind as well. And at the same time, I want to enjoy this experience that I do have. But I know it's such a sensitive topic. And, you know, I have friends myself who are struggling with infertility. So it's that fine line of feeling joyful for your blessing, but then also compassionate for what other women are going through potentially. Yeah, it's been such a dichotomy of emotions. As that post just sort of described, it's the difficult feelings of losing control, but then also the great feeling of privilege that this miracle is growing inside of you. So it's hard not to kind of feel guilty because it's like, well, here I am complaining about how hard this is on my body, but how lucky am I that I'm even pregnant and get to experience pregnancy? There's definitely that aspect of it. And The way that it's been for me personally, I had a really, really tough first 20 weeks. So the first half of the pregnancy, I had really severe morning sickness that lasted all day in my case. So there was about two solid months where I was basically bedridden and couldn't get out of bed. I could hardly shower. I had to have my husband and my mother help me out a lot with just chores around the house. I couldn't do anything essentially. That blindsided me basically. I was not expecting that at all. And I think the hardest part about that period for me was issues around weight. So whereas a lot of pregnant people actually lose weight when they have morning sickness because they're, you know, vomiting or they just don't have an appetite, my body's reaction was to eat more to sort of settle my stomach. So I was just constantly eating carbs all day because that was the only thing that made me feel better. So my whole system was just out of whack and I felt no control over my diet, no control over my weight, no control over my appearance. And that's a really, really hard emotion for women in general. And 
Also because before pregnancy, I enjoyed a figure that I was really happy about and kind of felt like I had the whole diet and eating thing down. I didn't struggle with my weight at all. I had in previous years, high school and college years, struggled a lot with weight, but I had sort of learned my body and learned how to manage it. And so I just felt blindsided by all of that. So here you are kind of loathing the way your body is starting to look and change and you're feeling miserable. And that was something that I absolutely was blindsided by. It must be really hard thinking about how much sickness you're having and at the same time to gain weight is like rubbing the insult into injury. That's how it felt. And I remember as I started to feel a little bit better and start getting out back into the world, I was so insecure about my weight because you don't actually start showing a belly until like, for me, it was maybe five months in. So no one really can tell that you're pregnant, but you're at the same time carrying around 15, 20 extra pounds in my case. So I was so insecure about that. It has gotten easier as now I'm showing as a pregnant woman because if people see me, they think, oh, she's pregnant. That makes sense that she's gained weight. But I was so insecure about those first months where I was just gaining weight. But at the time, not a lot of people knew I was pregnant. Yeah. Is there a story there? I remember not so much a story, but just a culmination of all those emotions. I remember going to lunch with my mother one day and we were just sitting in this random Thai restaurant in my neighborhood and We were talking about the pregnancy and I just started bawling my eyes out to her right in the middle of the restaurant. I hadn't done that yet and it just kind of showed me, wow, I've been carrying around all these pent up emotions around what I've been going through and the weight. And I sort of just remember feeling like I had enjoyed such kind of, I don't want to say mastery over my diet and weight in the last few years, but in a way that's kind of how it felt and then it was all out the window. And it sort of triggered a lot of maybe undealt with emotions that I had about weight in my high school and college years where I struggled a lot with emotional eating. So I think watching my body kind of unravel and get out of control brought me back to the pain of those years. And at that lunch with my mother, I just let it all out and started just crying. And that was kind of maybe the beginning of the acceptance phase of all of this, which is still an ongoing battle for me every single day of just kind of accepting the way I look now, accepting the fact that, you know, I've probably put on more weight than what the doctor would have wanted me to and accepting that pregnancy kind of is just learning to have no control and letting go because your body is really taking over with hormones and stuff. That's got to be hard. It is. For me, it has been. I know everyone's body reacts differently to pregnancy and some women never go through these things. But for me, it's been difficult at times. But at the same time, it's also been this beautiful, wonderful, amazing experience that I wouldn't trade for the world. So it's hard to kind of feel those two conflicting emotions at once. Did you feel any healing, like you mentioned, from the past years of issues? Do you feel like there was a resolution or there's a greater understanding of that pain in the past as well? Are you still going through it? I think I'm still going through that, to be honest. I've maybe realized that in the last maybe eight years of my life where I've sort of enjoyed really healthy body image and healthy body weight and diet that maybe I was more dependent on the way that I looked than I thought because I didn't expect to be so stirred up by all of this. 
I know some women who love gaining weight in pregnancy. They're like, this is awesome. I can finally have an excuse to eat ice cream every (laughs) night. Whereas for me, it's been a lot more difficult. So I think maybe I was more attached to my physical appearance than I had known. In a way, I'm grateful for this experience because it has sort of made me less vain, so to speak, to kind of just be like, well, I can't be perfect all the time. I can't have the perfect body. I can't fit into the perfect outfits. I can't always look pulled together. And I think perfectionism is definitely something that I've struggled with. And I know a lot of women struggle with as well in all areas of their lives. So it's really kind of put the spotlight on that for me and has helped me examine what perfectionism in my life has done. Just watching the social media stuff that you've shared. Yes, I can see that evolution for you. And it's probably been sparked by the pregnancy. But do you think it's tapped into other areas as well? Because I mean, you have a very aspirational design sense, which bleeds out into the magazine that you create, and also what you love naturally and share online. This situation is, yeah, like you said, been in contrast to all of that. The trigger point was maybe weight. But do you think that perfectionism has lessened in other areas because of this experience yet? Yeah, no, I think it's definitely helped me in other areas as well. I'm not sure if you're too familiar with Brene Brown's work. Yes. I love her stuff. And she talks a lot about perfectionism and vulnerability and shame and whatnot and how shame and perfectionism are related. It's really made me think about that in all aspects of my life. And it's something that I'm very aware of. I am constantly trying to fight my tendency towards perfectionism. And the way that that sort of manifests itself in my life is that I always want my home to look perfect and I don't want people to come over unless it's absolutely clean and I've got flowers set out and just everything's in order and the design of it is done. And, you know, I don't usually like leaving the house without makeup on and all of that kind of stuff. So I know that those are the areas that I struggle with, with perfectionism. And this pregnancy has sort of forced me to examine all of those aspects of my life. So I think it's going to be an ongoing challenge for me in my life, just battling that. But as I start to read about it and understand it more, I am proud of myself at the same time, because I do see myself kind of letting go of that perfectionism and the control and the shame that comes with it. Yeah, I can say it's so much easier to relate to what you're sharing lately. (laughs) Like, quite honestly, like, I love you and I know you, so I know you're not some perfect being. But when I see (laughs) is the wonderful silver lining of this pregnancy also teaching you to be a more compassionate and less perfectionist mother at the same time? Yes, probably. I think it's all prepping me for that. And that's the chapter that I don't know yet, but we'll know soon. But I think it will be. The whole perfectionism thing is such a hard balance for me doing what I do for a living and working in the style slash design aesthetic industry because on one point, I am so driven by beauty, like beauty in all forms, whether that's a beautifully designed space or a beautiful bouquet of flowers or a beautifully put together outfit. I'm just so inspired and drawn to beauty that I do strive to create beauty in my life, but that is such a fine line of also letting people see the unbeautiful moments or unbeautiful aspects of your life or the art that you create or or whatnot. So it's such a tricky one for me working in the industry that I do because part of what I'm supposed to do is create beauty, but then also not being consumed by that, if that makes sense. 
It totally does. As an editor of an aspirational design magazine, (laughs) it's got (laughs) to be a challenge. Have you noticed a difference in reception for these imperfections in your life from those around you? I have. My husband loves this because he's been so good these last few months and always. But before pregnancy, he's always like, oh, just wear flats. Don't put on your makeup. Let's just walk down the street and go out to dinner. Like, you look fine. And of course, I'm the girl who, if I'm going to go out to dinner, I want to put on a cute outfit, put on heels, put on makeup, do my hair. So he kind of loves that I've sort of faced this vanity (laughs) and, and been a little bit more relaxed and casual about it. So for sure, he's happy with that. And he's been such a great support as well. And I'm very lucky. He tells me every single day how beautiful I am, even those days that you are 45 pounds heavier and don't feel beautiful. So I think it is also affecting people around me in a positive way. Have you noticed any effect in your professional life? I think I'm giving myself more grace around work. I know that I'll never be able to have everything done that I want to have done with Rue. And I know that photo shoots or stories or new website launches will never be as perfect as I hope that they would be. I'm giving myself more grace around that. And I think when we always hold ourselves to that high standard of perfection, you can't help but feel failure because perfect doesn't exist. So I think that has helped. And another thing that I've been able to do in the last couple of years is really just learn the boundaries of work life and personal life. I will say that I'm pretty good about turning off work. And that's a lot of thanks to my husband who, when we first started dating, I was the type who would work on weekends, at nights, whenever, just because I love what I do so much. But he's really sort of taught me to work really hard Monday through Friday. But then when it's five o'clock shut off, and that's our time, and that's personal time. And same things with weekends. I think learning to let go of perfectionism around work has even improved my quality of life drastically. Have you noticed a difference with people that you work with, or even the audience of people that you're sharing with? I've been sharing these posts on Instagram, mostly. I think I see that my followers are connecting a lot with that because anytime I do share one of those personal sort of pregnancy update posts on Instagram, I get so many supportive comments, either other women feeling the same way or saying pregnancy was the same for them or words of encouragement. So I think people are resonating with me on a deeper level as I'm more open. And that's kind of the way vulnerability works. If you're vulnerable with people, then they feel safe to be vulnerable back with you. So I've seen it happen there, which has been really inspiring. That's awesome. Do you think that this pregnancy or the lessons more specifically you've learned through this pregnancy, like what we're talking about with perfectionism, will impact what you do with Rue in the future or what we see on Rue in the future? Well, that's a great question. Yeah. In general, what we've been trying to do with Rue for maybe the last six months or so is really take Rue to a little bit of a deeper level because as you know, kind of how you are, Jess, you and I both love talking about (laughs) this kind of stuff like vulnerability and perfectionism and the deeper aspects of life. Since that's such an important part of my life and as the founder of Rue, I kind of wanted that to reflect in the magazine that we present to people. So kind of getting deeper into why design matters and whatnot. So we've been trying to put elements of that into our content. And I think it's still subtle for readers. 
But that's definitely a direction that I want to take it. I mean, it's always going to be about interior design and whatnot. But I want to sort of share more than just pretty photos and interesting products. I kind of want to share what design does to people's emotions and what the process of building a home feels like for people and that kind of thing. So I think in a roundabout way, it all sort of relates. That's awesome. We're having a conversation that started from pregnancy, but it's really about perfectionism. Yeah, interesting, huh? (laughs) What do you feel like people didn't tell you? (laughs) You wish you had known. Let's see. What do I wish I would have known? Um, That it's all consuming. It, It consumes your physical body. It consumes your emotional state of being and it consumes your mental space. Yeah, I didn't realize it was going to be so all consuming. I, it's such a beautiful time in your life, but it's also such a stressful time in your life as well. So I think that's what I would tell people who haven't been down the road yet, that it really does affect all parts of your, of your being. All right. And then I'm going to twist that question two degrees and I'm going to ask you a different version of it. So if you could talk to pre-pregnant Crystal, knowing what you know now. I would probably tell myself, give yourself grace and it's only a temporary season of your life. I've been hard on myself at times. Like one thing that I'm hard on myself about is that, you know, when you get pregnant, they say if you're a average healthy weight before pregnancy, then you should gain about 25 to 35 pounds in the whole course of your nine months. Well, I've already surpassed that number and I've still got three and a half weeks to go. So I've been really hard on myself about that. I've just had to kind of on a daily basis fight feelings of, oh, why did you let it get to that point? Did you not watch your eating enough? Did you indulge a little bit too much? And I have to just remind myself daily, like, you know what? A ton of women gain more than the recommended amount. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. You can deal with it after the pregnancy. And just giving myself permission to not be perfect once again, and just giving myself grace, I think is something I would have wanted my pre-pregnant crystal to know. Actually, I just had a new idea. I'm going to ask you a different question and I'm going to do two more degrees. We're going to switch it two more degrees. What would you tell future Crystal once the baby comes and you are still facing this perfectionism and the weight thing? What would you want to tell future Crystal? I've thought about that a lot too, because going into pregnancy, I thought it was going to be easy. So going into postpartum crystal, I have this idea that losing all the weight is going to be easy because I keep telling myself, oh, you're super motivated to get back to your healthy weight and you can do this crystal and it's going to be easy. And I'm giving myself like three to four months to be back to my original weight. And maybe now I need to start telling myself, well, it might not work out that way. You didn't realize that pregnancy was going to work out this way. So maybe postpartum crystal isn't going to work out as, you know, cut and dry as you envision it. So I have been trying to prep myself a little bit for that. Because once again, by thinking that it's going to be easy, and that I've got this under control, and I can lose all the weight in three to four months, that's me getting caught up in that perfectionism again, and that control again. So I do have to remind myself that It might not pan out that way. My body might react to the postpartum hormones differently than I expect. It might be harder than I think. It might not just melt away in my case. So I have to keep that in mind as well, which is hard because 
I've got that voice inside of me that just thinks, oh, you'll be able to do it. You'll look the way you looked before within three to four months. Yes. Knowing my own ego, my own issues with with eating, (laughs) I had to ask that question because if I were you, I would really want this on tape (laughs) so I can go (laughs) re-listen to it in the future. So just so you know, Crystal, you'll always be able to go back to this Crystal and hear what she has to say. That's good. Yeah, you'll have to remind me of that. It's about anticipating the fact that if this has been in the past, it's possible it may rear its head. Because right now, your ego is telling you, all right, so pregnancy didn't go as planned, but it's already told you it's like little gauntlet, three to four months. The intuition's like, wait a minute, that may not be the case. Exactly. And that's so hard for me to accept right now because I do feel so motivated. I keep on saying like, okay, just a couple more weeks of feeling large and just unhealthy in a way and you're not really able to exercise when you're pregnant that easily. So I'm so motivated to get back to my running routine and my usual diet and all of these things that I do have to remember, well, I could be surprised again. (laughs) Yes. And very tired (laughs) and sleep deprived. Yes. I'm very tired. Yep. Absolutely. Do you want to create a values-based intention for your eating and your exercise after the baby comes? Oh, that's a great idea. I've not done it on a show. You would be the first. Yeah, as long as you walk me through it. Okay, so we have to figure out what your values, your uppercase V values are for your eating and your exercise. And what we're trying to find is what is intuitively important to you at the deepest, deepest core level of yourself, that deepest part of you, what's truly most important that is peaceful and isn't based on any outcomes or metrics. So it's not based on how much you weigh. What is truly important to you in the present moment when it comes to exercising and eating? And they can be different sets of values, but we can look at each individually. So let's start with the eating. What is truly most important to you when it comes to the things that you eat or the health you have in the framework of eating? Let's see. Luckily, I tend to naturally gravitate towards healthy foods anyway. The healthier I eat, the better I feel, which is true with everyone, right? You just feel good from the inside out. And I just want to get back to that, like that good from the inside out feeling. So things that make you feel good. Right, exactly. When it comes to post-pregnancy, I wonder if there's a hidden second value that will also balance out this eat things that make me feel good. Well, if you're upset and emotional, things that might feel good might be overeating. Is there maybe a way to add a little bit more descriptive to really talk about the type of feeling of good that you want? Eating a ton of ice cream versus eating a salad. Exactly. Or another value, feeling good from the inside out. I guess what you would be asking yourself every time you were making a decision about what you consumed, whether you're at the airport or whether you're cooking dinner for your family, would be what would make me feel good from the inside out? And actually from the inside out, you're not like confused about what that means. You're not going to say emotional eating makes you feel good from the inside out. Right. That's more from the outside in, I would say. So does it feel like it totally captures it entirely? It does. I think we can add on things that make you feel good long term from the inside out because, you know, obviously eating a bowl of ice cream feels good short term, but then it doesn't give you that long term satisfaction or feeling of health. I love that. And what's also cool about long term, it might feel like your ego would have this little spike if you ate very little in the short term, right? I'm losing the weight Mm -hmm. faster or whatever. But in the long term, that's not a peaceful way of eating or living. Right. I think that framework of long term 
really gives you that intuitive understanding of what feels good rather than the ego saying, oh, I ate nothing today (laughs) and that feels good. In the long term, that doesn't feel good. So you're not trying to sprint to the finish of this scenario. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that kind of nails it for me. Eating from the inside out for the long term. Yes, exactly. So then no matter what you do, no matter how what the outcome on the scale may be, you always have that to go back to when you go into the kitchen. I love that. I should write it on a post-it. <laughs> yes, and put it on your fridge. Yeah. Put it anywhere you need to. I will. What about exercise? Is the value different there? The reason that I love running, running is sort of my exercise of choice, is not so much for losing weight. I just love the feeling of sweating and getting your heart going and being out in nature and feeling strong in your legs. So for me, it's remembering how genuinely good exercising makes me feel. Naturally strong came to mind. Yeah, naturally strong. Yeah. Because you said nature, which I'm kind of twisting that. But naturally strong also isn't like you're trying to force something out of something that can't be naturally achieved. Yeah, like I always feel my best right after a run. You feel alive, you feel energetic, you feel strong. And I miss that feeling. Does that feel like a cozy sweater? I always say it has to feel like your personal cozy sweater. Does naturally strong? Yeah, that feels good. That feels right. And no matter how far you can run, you're just going to find the ways to embody naturally strong in that run. How can you do it in that workout in that day? Exactly. Yes, I like that a lot. How different would it be to approach things that way versus not having that in mind? I think that helps a ton because it has the value at the forefront rather than the result. Yes, because you can't control it. Right. You cannot control that. You can only control why you do the things you do and then the actions you do because of your values. Exactly. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's an excellent reminder. I'm sure I'll need that going into this next phase after the baby is born. I love that. And when any ego pops up, (laughs) when it doesn't turn out and the outcomes aren't what you expect or want, grace is what gets you through. So true. Yes. I love it. I love it too. This was fun. (laughs) (laughs) How do you feel now? I feel good. It's, you know, these are things that you kind of feel vaguely inside yourself, but it's so helpful to actually articulate them in a really straightforward, clear way. It's more tangible. That way you can sort of grab onto these mantras, so to speak, or intentions, and it makes it more attainable if you have that. It's nice to have something to focus on. I say it's like going to a yoga studio and trying to do a balancing posture. If you're just looking at nothing and not fixating on anything to focus on, you're not gonna be able to make those micro adjustments to stay balanced. But if you look at a specific spot on the floor, You can keep yourself anchored on one spot that helps you make those micro adjustments along the way. And that's what an intention does for you. It helps you anchor yourself onto what's truly most important to you and make adjustments accordingly. I love that analogy. That's great. This whole episode has been about the doubts and resistance you face. (laughs) Let's talk about what you would tell someone who is just starting out on this journey. The journey of pregnancy? I would tell them to not hold on to any expectations, to give themselves grace, and also to just let them experience it. Whatever their journey is, don't try to fight it, manipulate it, change it, control it. Just experience it with the good, the bad, the ugly, 
and just be present to the experience, whether it's enjoyable for you or not, because the reality is it is a temporary time in your life. And there's a lot of difficulty that comes with pregnancy, but there's also so much beauty and so much privilege and honor to be able to carry life inside of you. Thank you so much, Crystal, for coming on and being so vulnerable and honest and open with us. My pleasure, Jess. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for having me and giving me the opportunity to just chit chat with you. It's been really fun. And there you have it. Crystal, thank you so much for coming on the show and being so open and honest with us. And thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to check out the show notes and download the intention principle we've created with Crystal's exercise in eating intentions, you can go over to jesslively.com slash crystalpalachek to download your free copy. And now let's talk with Katie Craig, the abstract artist I have selected for today's mini interview sponsored by minted.com. At the end of the interview with Katie, I'll be sharing how you can enter to win one of two $250 gift certificates for minted wall art. And after that, I'll be sharing the exciting guests I have coming up on the show next week. Katie, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show and talking with us today. Of course. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about how you got started as an artist. I was a fine art major in college and kind of like a lot of art majors after school, I found myself needing income. So I kind of went into a different career and I'm a marketing coordinator at an architecture firm. About two or three years into that, I felt just the urge to create again and get back to it. So I believe in 2011, I started painting, started my own site with originals that I had like two or three hits on my site. And then a friend, a coworker told me about Minted. She is a designer there as well. And I joined the community and I started submitting work and got some pics. And here I am about two years later and it's just been a wonderful ride. How would you describe your art? It is abstract, very colorful, full of movement. If there is anything that I'm trying to do when I create a piece, it is to create something that is dynamic and living as much as you can get a single piece of art to translate that full of life is kind of how I would best describe it. As someone who has tried to do abstract art in my own life and (laughs) failed miserably, I have so much respect for abstract artists and especially your work. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you. You joined Minted rather early on. Has it really helped your business grow? It has helped it exponentially. Just the exposure that Minted can provide me as a as a small artist and support me as well as the artist community. It's not just Minted helping me through this. They have a fabulous and extensive group of artists from all over the world who will give you feedback on work. And, and it's just wonderful. It really helps you grow creatively. How have you grown personally since joining Minted? My work has... I would say grown in depth. I, I feel like I put much more thought and process into it because there is so much art out there and there's so much great art, but I feel like one of the best parts behind being creative is the process of getting to a final piece. And there are times when maybe you submit a piece to mint it and, and it's not quite done. And getting that feedback from other artists, letting you know, hey, I really think it could use this or that is a great way for you to realize what other people are seeing, taking yourself out of the equation. Getting that honest feedback, that's so hard to do, especially as a small business owner or artist, to have that kind of mastermind community with you sounds perfect. It really has been fabulous. What's your favorite thing about being part of the Minted community? 
I've started some friendships with some people that I haven't even met. I mean, I have just met through the internet. And it's so funny how nowadays you can be friends with someone you haven't met, but that is the case. Really just having them open doors for me. I've had a few minted people really promote and and help me and get my name out there as well as minted. It's just kind of a great network. What would you tell other people who may be considering joining the minted community? I would say if you're even considering it, join it. They're a great place to start, whether you are just starting out as an artist or whether you've been doing it for years and you really want to kind of get into selling prints online. Minted was very helpful and have an extensive, great marketplace for art. Where can people go to look at your beautiful pieces of art? They could go to katiecraigart.com and from there you can view my originals as well as there's a link to my Minted store where you can peruse everything that I have on Minted as well. That's awesome. And like I said a little bit earlier, I am working with Minted for those of us who are not artists or are but want to have some more gallery walls in their homes. For those who have seen my home tours in the past, you know I love me a good gallery wall. So I have created four gallery wall trios based on the minted art marketplace, which was easy to do. There's so much great art on there. I really honestly mean that. These trios are adorable. Check them out. You can go to jesslively.com slash minted to check out the little trios I created. And minted is giving away two $250 gift certificates to listeners. So you get to pick your favorite trio, share it in your Pinterest board or on Instagram using the hashtag minted art. By May 6th, please hop over to JessLive.com slash minted to pin or to Instagram one of your favorite trios using the hashtag minted art. Go check out Katie's art as well, and you'll see it in my trios. Katie, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing minted with us. Thank you so much for having me, Jess. This has been great. And now for the sneak peek. Next week's guest is Jonathan Fields of the one and only Good Life Project. For those who are familiar, Jonathan has had a popular YouTube channel and now podcast based on The Good Life Project. He has interviewed amazing guests over the years, and I'm so excited to get to pick his brain this time. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today. 